Okay, now here we are. Let's see. Uh, before before we go on to this church government, let me let me just have your attention here and talk about why are we talking about church government. Margaret and I were at dinner with some friends last night, and uh, I said <laughs> I said kind of smiling, I've got a really exciting lesson tomorrow. It's about church officers and apostles and elders. <laughs> And I know it's not like it's not like the the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to your spiritual life to learn about apostles and elders and church government structure. Um, but when when we go through systematic theology, it's part of what the Bible teaches. The Bible gives us principles about church government. And I've looked back over the, if I look back over the last uh, thirty some years of teaching, and I've seen a whole bunch of different churches many many times. When churches or denominations go astray or get in trouble, it's because they don't have a very good government structure. They didn't think it through, and the government structure let them go astray. So, so church government is a, is a big deal. It's a really important topic. So um, let's start out here. A church officer. A church officer is someone who has been publicly recognized as having the right and responsibility to perform certain functions for the benefit of the whole church. Well, Jamie Rasmussen has the right and responsibility to preach sermons on Sunday morning for the benefit of the whole church. He's a church officer. Elders are church officers. They have the right and responsibility to govern the affairs of the church. Okay, We have another officer. There's a church treasurer. Um, I think Don, Don Erickson is the... Ron, Ron, I'm sorry, Ron, Ron Erickson is the, is the church treasurer. And he has... You can't have a whole bunch of people who say, well, I'll take care of that money and take it to the bank for you. I mean, it's really good that you figure out who has the responsibility to do that, and he's accountable for it. And you don't want to have 15 people walking up to the pulpit on Sunday morning and saying, my turn to preach, my turn to preach. No, you straighten it out in advance. You got, different, you got some people recognized with the responsibility to function for the whole church. Now, the New Testament discusses some different offices. It discusses the office of apostle, and I think that's limited to the time when the early church uh, existed, when it was just getting started. And I don't think there are apostles today. I'll talk about that. And then there are two other offices which are mentioned, and I think they continue throughout the church age, and those are elder and deacon. So we'll talk about those. Let's go on and talk first now about apostle. An apostle. The New Testament apostles had a unique authority to speak and write words, speak and write and authorize words, which were the words of God in an absolute sense. And so... Uh, um, uh, the, the apostles, uh, Peter, John, um, uh, Matthew, um, were um, authors of the New Testament books, for instance, or or they were, or some of the books were written by people who were recording the message of the apostles, but very similar. Well, who, how? Uh, so we look at the questions of what were the requirements, who were the apostles, how many were there, and are there apostles today? First, what about the word apostle? There are. There are three verses that have this Greek word apostolos with a broad general sense, meaning simply messenger, and they're not talking about the church office. And I'll just kind of say that to get it out of the way. The, the word is used in a real general sense, meaning messenger or sent one. Uh, Philippians 2.25, Epaphroditus is your messenger and minister to my need. 2 Corinthians 8.23, 
messengers of the churches. And John 13, 16, a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. So there are three times in the New Testament where the word is used in kind of a really general sense, and it doesn't mean this narrow sense of apostle of Jesus Christ. But 77 times in the New Testament, the word Greek word apostolos is used in this very special sense, apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And that, when we look at it, that becomes a very special title and a very special office <clears throat> in the New Testament. Um, who, how could you be an apostle? Well, number one, you had to have seen Jesus after the resurrection with your own eyes. So after Judas turned away and, and, and was taken away from the 12 disciples that became the 12 apostles, then they had to have a replacement. So Peter was talking about the person to be, to be the replacement, and he says, one of these must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So those apostles could say, I have seen Jesus with my own eyes. I've interacted with him. I've known him personally. And they, therefore, were a witness to the resurrection, first-hand witness. Um, and Acts 1, 2 to 3, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So after he rose from the dead, Jesus spent time with his apostles and talked with them, spoke with them about the kingdom of God, and appeared to them many times during that 40 days before he went back up to heaven. So they saw him with their own eyes. Paul kind of came in the back door at the last minute, even after the door was closed, kind of, kind of sneaked in, because, because Jesus appeared to him specially on the road to Damascus. And so he could say, I'm like the other apostles, because 1 Corinthians 9.1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Or 1 Corinthians 15.7-9, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then Paul says, last of all, as to one untimely born, kind of somebody born out of proper time, um, he appeared also to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. But being an apostle and having the Lord appear to him are connected right there. And it looks like he's uh, associating that with people's knowledge that you had to have seen Jesus with your own eyes in order to be an apostle. But then there's a second qualification. And that is Jesus has to choose you and say, I'm choosing you as an apostle. And so that began in the Gospels, in Jesus' earthly life, when he called to him 12 disciples these are going to become the 12 apostles, minus Judas, plus Matthias, back, back up to 12. But he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, heal every disease and every affliction. And so the name called them 12 disciples, and then Matthew goes right on and switches to the word apostle. The names of the 12 apostles are these, and then he gives all their names. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. So um, Jesus chose those 12 very specifically. They're a specific group. And I think the 12, why, was it, why is the number 12? Why did he choose 12? What's the big deal? Yeah, it's, it's a parallel to the 12 tribes of Israel. So you're the new leadership of the people of God, parallel to the 12 tribes of Israel. And so um, in Acts 1, after Judas had turned aside and betrayed Jesus and committed suicide, they prayed and said, Lord, you know, you Lord, here I think it's speaking to the Lord Jesus in heaven, you Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen 
You have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So now we're back up to 12. And uh, then Paul, when talking about the way Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road, he's giving the story uh, later, and he's saying that what happened was Jesus spoke to him and said, Rise and stand up on your feet. I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So there he said that Jesus appeared to him, chose him specifically. So Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And he takes that title for himself very readily. Who were the 12 apostles? Or who were the apostles? And how many were there? There were the initial 12, minus Judas, plus Matthias. We're back up to 12. And they are a special group. They're kind of the charter members. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. But it's very interesting that shortly after this, in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas also are counted apostles of Christ. So Acts 14, 14, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd. Very interesting, because in the book of Acts, they're recognizing that there are, there, are, there are 12 apostles, but then that same word is applied to people who weren't among the 12, Barnabas, not among the 12, and Paul, surely not among the 12, he was a persecutor of the church early on. So I think now we're up to 14. And I mean, Paul, again and again in his epistles, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So he, it, it's very clear, he's, he's an apostle in, in, the, in that high, and uh, very specific sense. James, the brother of Jesus, not James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James in the New Testament, he also seems to be an apostle in Galatians and Corinthians. Verse Corinthians. See, um, just kind of thinking through the book of Acts, in Acts 12, King Herod killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. That's one of the 12, the 12 original apostles, James, the brother of John. But after that's in Acts 12. In Acts 15, there's another James there. It's James, the brother of Jesus, and he's kind of the spokesman in the Jerusalem council, and he, gets, he has leadership in the church, and he's the author of the book of James. And so here is uh, James, not James, the brother of John, James and John, son of Ze sons of Zebedee, but James, the Lord's brother. Galatians 1.19, Paul went up to Jerusalem, <clears throat> and he said, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. It looks like he's including James with the apostles. And 1 Corinthians 15, 7 to 9, look at how he puts James in here pretty prominently. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared also to me. So it looks like it. And, uh, and James uh, seems to have that leadership role in the Jerusalem church, Acts 15 and onward. There's one other verse that sometimes comes up. Andronicus and Junia, or Junias, it's uh, translated different ways in different versions, Romans 16, 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. If you translate it this way, as the ESV does, well known to the apostles, then that doesn't say they're apostles. It just says the apostles know them. And I think that's the right translation. But some translations, they are 
persons of note among the apostles. Then you would have Andronicus and Junia, a woman as an apostle, and that's some people claim that. Or the name would be spelled the same if it were a man's name, Junius, and there's a big technical discussion about it. But I, I think they're not counted as apostles. There's no other mention of them in the New Testament as there is with James and Paul and Barnabas. And, uh, and I think this is a better translation anyway, well known to the apostles. So uh, and, um, anyway, that, that verse comes up, but I don't, I don't think there's reason to think of them as apostles. So what we have is 12, Barnabas is 13, Paul is 14, and James, the Lord's brother, is 15. So I think there are, there are 15. Are there any others? Probably not. Maybe so. Could Jesus have chosen another one? Yes, maybe, but there's no evidence that he did. And when we look at the beginning of Paul's letters, it's very interesting that he jealously protects this title, Apostle, for himself. He never allows it to be applied to Timothy or others of his companions. So... Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Or in Philippians 1:1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. But he doesn't call them both apostles together. See how he keeps the title of apostle for himself, and that's a pattern that's been noticed in Paul's epistles. Um, so he he thinks of it as a very uh, a very special title. So my conclusion here, point E, is there are no more apostles today, none after the time of the New Testament. And here are the, now, you say, big deal. I didn't think there were apostles. We didn't have any apostles here at Scottsdale Bible Church. Darrell was an apostle. Jamie's not an apostle. None of the elders are apostles. So what are you arguing about this for? Why am I, why am I making this point? What's the big deal? Clyde. Some churches have apostles today. They do. Um, I was in England speaking to a whole bunch of people about 1990, and I was, I was giving a talk on things about church offices and gifts and things, and I had about a 15-minute section in there about no apostles, and I didn't realize that half the audience was from, and they were, you know, you know how I, when all of a sudden you, this, the audience gets really kind of suspicious and they're not real responsive? And so, I don't know what's going on. Well, you know, I've got spilled jam all over my shirt or something. <laughs> but, there, but there was a group of uh, kind of a house church movement. It was in Scotland, and they, uh, they, well, okay, they, they believed in apostles. And there's another group. Um, and, and, well, there's some other groups that I'm friends with and that, I, and that I like a lot, both in England and the United States. And they have apostolic teams or apostles and their leadership teams. It's basically what you'd call a, a, a denominational governing board. Um, and I would rather have them call it a denominational governing board uh, than apostle, because it seems to me there's such a, a because apostles can write the Bible. See, and, that, and apostles have this absolute authority. Paul says, if you don't obey what I'm saying, don't have anybody, you know, you're not recognized, don't have anything to do with such a person. And so I would like to restrict the title. But the people who use the word apostle today, or if they don't use the word apostle, they call it an apostolic leadership. What? Why? Why do they do that? What? They're, what are they trying to do? What's their reason? It could be for establishing leadership authority. And there's another. 
kind of a power. Hmm? Yeah, no. Okay, this is, John, this is what I worry about and other people worry about. You're right on the money. They want the Bible to keep growing and changing. No, they don't. They, they say, no, the Bible's finished. We're not going to add to it. We're not writing. So they don't want to do that. The, the attractiveness of it is that some people say, let's be just like the Bible. Let's get back to the Bible. Let's do things like they did. In the, this is what the Bible says. It has apostles. We need apostles. See, that's the, that's the driving force. Um, and uh, and I, you know, I, I like to get back to the Bible. <laughs> that's a good argument in many, many cases. But here, I, I think it doesn't understand that this was a unique group for a unique period of time. Okay? Still, I've got to say um, that the, the groups who, who hold this, I, I like in many, many other ways, and I've, they've had me speak for them and things like that, and so I'm, not all of them, but some of them have, and, and so, and they're trying to guard it, and so, and then there are other people in the mission field who say, well, <clears throat> you know, Judson, he, he, he was the first, he and his wife, Adoriam, Adoriam, Adoriam Judson and Ann Judson, they went to Burma, and they, he was the apostle of Burma, because he started the first churches in Burma, and, <clears throat> they, they use the word apostle like a pioneering church planter. That's another sense of it. And I say, well, okay, I, I see what you're meaning, but I'd rather, I'd rather protect it. And here are my reasons why there are no more apostles today. Uh, number one, nobody today has seen the risen Christ and been specially commissioned by him as an apostle. Okay. Number two, Paul seems to imply that he was the last apostle. It looks like that's what's going on when he says, he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the Twelve. He appeared to 500 brothers at one time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, last of all, last of all, last of all. Doesn't that look like he's kind of saying, this is all the appearances that are going to happen. Last of all, he appeared also to me, as to one untimely born, um, for I'm the least of the apostles. And then number three, I think it's very interesting <clears throat> that the book of Revelation was, was completed sometime by about 90 A.D., Immediately after that, you start getting writings in church history, like Clement, who was called Bishop of Rome. He's an elder in the Church of Rome. Five, five years after the end of the New Testament. And you know what? He doesn't call himself an apostle. He looks back to the apostles. As if, and, and then Ignatius in 110 AD. He, he says, I'm not an apostle. They were apostles. So those people who actually knew the apostles personally, they lived with them, they talked with them, they knew that they shouldn't take that title for themselves. And then in the sort of the great figures in church history like Augustine and Anselm and Athanasius and then Luther and Calvin and Wesley, they didn't claim the title apostle for themselves. They could use the title elder or pastor or something like that, but no, they didn't take the title apostle. So I think that's kind of an argument that people recognized. It was a, <clears throat> it was a, a special office. So, so let's... Let's leave it that way. Is that are, are you okay with that? So I, so so we don't have apostles at Scottsdale Bible Church. We have elders, and uh, and, and and but let me say that, the, that at least those more responsible groups that have what they, they may not call them apostles, but they have like apostolic leadership. They they do not ever mean to say that it's equal to scripture. They're just they're they just okay anyway. Okay, but here's a big question, and it's a question that Catholics and Protestants disagree on. And that is the question, okay, let's say the apostles are gone. What replaced the apostles after they were gone? <clears throat> hmm? 
yeah, yeah, the Roman Catholic Church will believe in apostolic succession. They'll say the apostles laid their hands on the succeeding bishops, including the bishop of Rome, and the bishops and the cardinals and the pope in an unbroken line of succession right down to the present pope, have replaced the apostles. Okay? Man, what are we going to answer? Doesn't it sound kind of attractive as an argument? See, there's the the leadership. Well, they they laid hands on them, and then the next ones laid hands on the next ones and and replaced them, and and right down to the present day, and we've got the pope and the bishops and the cardinals and the leadership of the Catholic Church, and that's replaced the apostles. What do you guys have? Well, our answer is, somebody said it over here, John, the writings of the apostles replaced the apostles. It's the writings, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the whole New Testament, written or authorized by the apostles, (coughs) that they left to govern the church. And so our supreme governing authority as Protestants is not the Pope, it's not the bishops and cardinals, because we don't think there's any human replacement for the apostles. Our supreme governing authority is the writings of the apostles, the word of God. Does that make sense? And I I think that's the right answer. I think that's the answer that the church should take. Um, And so we do not count any human counsels of equal authority to the word of God, but always to be subject to the word of God. That's all on apostle. Any questions before we go to elder? Brian? Why no more apostles? Uh, why there is no more apostles. Yep. And um, um, the first two points, well, uh, I guess I'll start with the first point. Nobody has, nobody today has seen the risen Christ, and you had yep. pointed that out from uh, yep. Acts 1, I think 22, and yep. so forth. Uh, but as, maybe I missed it, but as you were going on, you were showing, it seems like, exceptions to that case, like Paul. Just and I, Paul. Uh, was Barnabas an exception? Well, we don't have any record that Jesus appeared to Barnabas, but Barnabas was around a long time. He was, he was in leadership in the church before Paul came on the scene, so probably he was with those 500 to whom Jesus appeared Okay. after the resurrection. Uh, I had heard, um, I don't know how much credence this is given, but I had somebody mention about, if you go back and, and back to Acts chapter 1, mm-hmm. that Peter, when he, when he jumped up and said, you know, hey, we need to find out who this, who's the yep. replacement is. Yep. Um, he had proposed or mentioned that that Peter being who he is, even though now the Holy Spirit had come and so forth. Yep. Oh, no, I don't even, no, Pentecost didn't even happen yet. Yep. But Peter being who he is, flighty and so forth, yep. kind of jumped the gun and just assumed, oh, well, this is what we need to do to select the next apostle as yep. opposed to waiting for what the Holy Spirit was really telling him. Yeah. And so, therefore, perhaps that definition of, of, well, it was somebody who seen, you know, Jesus from the baptism of John to yep. the end. Maybe yep. that's not a valid definition after all. Yep. I've heard that too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've heard people make that argument. It's sort of Peter was impetuous and he got ahead of the gun and or got ahead of God's plan and, and it was wrong to get Matthias there. The question is, Brian, how does the word of God present this? So, 
it doesn't seem to me that Luke, in writing Book of Acts, presents it as anything sinful or wrong. Now, Luke doesn't mind recording mistakes, like it records when Ananias and Sapphira lied, and then the Holy Spirit disciplined them. But, but verse 1 of the Book of Acts, <clears throat> of the whole book, starts out saying, in the first book, that's Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. That sentence implies to me that the book of Acts is the story of what Jesus continues to do and teach through his church. And so when Luke doesn't give any disapproval of it, but, but puts it right in the heart of the narrative as how the church begins to grow, then I think he views it positively, and we don't have the freedom to say what, the, what acts used positively with no hint of disapproval, that we should say, oh, it was a mistake. It doesn't, it doesn't seem a right method of interpretation to me. So, no, I think Peter's doing right. And then when they, and they pray, Lord, show which one of you you've chosen. Then they cast lots, and, and Matthias was, Lord, you who know the hearts of all. It's all viewed as submission to the Lord and, and following his will. I, so I think it's right. But I've heard it, too. I've heard that objection. Yeah. Anything else on apostles? Anything else on apostles, Clyde? Oh, authority of oh, go ahead. The twelve apostles of the Mormon Church seem to have full apostolic authority, yeah. as in the Bible. Yeah, they do. Uh, as a you know, oh, we've got replacements for them. And our answer as evangelical Protestants would be, no, you don't need human replacements today. We've got the writings of the apostles that they left for us. No more apostles today. And someone could claim, oh, Jesus appeared to me on the road to Peoria and, <laughs> and, and told me to be an apostle. Well, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a preposterous claim, and it would, be, it would be very hard to back it up. And all I, I, I think I can say without fear of contradiction, anybody who claims that is going to have some false doctrine or false agenda that's going to be promoted right along with it. So, yeah, it isn't happening anymore. Okay, can we go on to Elder? Let's see how we do here. Ready? This, 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 Elder. Elder. And there are other names for elders. Pastor or bishop or overseer, different, different names that are used in different translations of the New Testament or different verses. Well, first thing I want to say, and right away I'm into controversy. The first thing I want to say is it seems to me that the pattern in the New Testament is that there are Plural elders in every New Testament church. Why am I into controversy? Because it's a long tradition in Baptist churches that you have one elder and you call him the senior pastor, right? In fact, three weeks ago, I was in Birmingham, Alabama, a wonderful church, Hunter Street Baptist Church, and they have one elder. And that's this guy I really like, Buddy Gray. He's the senior pastor. But... That's, that's a very comp... How many people have lived in that kind of, at one time or the other, been in a Baptist church where there's just one, yeah, a lot of you. And that, that was the, uh, that was the um, kind of church that Margaret and I were in, uh, in a Baptist church that we loved in Illinois. And it functioned pretty well, but, but, I, but I'm going to argue that I, I just think 
if we look carefully, there's a better pattern in the New Testament, and it's plural elders rather than just one. And in those Baptist churches where there is one elder, then what are the other officers called? Deacons. All right. But, but I have to tell you, and this is going back a number of years, long, long time ago, but I have to tell you, I remember being a deacon in a Baptist church once, and we were, in a, we were in a meeting of the deacon board with the pastor, and the deacon board was going one way on a, what, what the church should do, and the pastor was going the other way, and we were arguing back and forth, and finally the pastor got fed up, and he said, listen, I'm the pastor, you're the deacons, and this is what's going to happen. End of discussion. Okay, well, okay, but I don't, but anyway, now that's background, that's just to kind of keep you awake this morning. And, and it seems to me that instead of just one elder in every church, there are a number of verses that use plural and say they're elders, plural. So Acts 14.23, this is on Paul's first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas are going to Antioch, Iconium, uh, they leave out Antioch, and they're passing through Asia Minor, and they're going to Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and they're going back. And right after they had gone through these cities, then they go right back through the cities, and what do they do? They visit these cities, and the churches couldn't have been only a few weeks old. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed, and then they went on their way. Plural. Every church. Acts 20:17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church to come to him. Titus 1:5. This is why I left you in Crete. He's writing to Titus, so that you may put right what remained, put what remained into order, and appoint what is that word? Elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. Not just one, but plural. James 5:14 written to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. That is, he's writing it to the whole church scattered throughout the known world at that time. And this is a very early epistle, the book of James. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders, plural. James is assuming every church that he writes to will have elders. That's a pretty strong argument, I think. And First Peter, writing to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all these provinces in Asia Minor, and he says, I exhort the elders among you. So, plurals. To conclusion, it seems to me that there is no passage that suggests that any church had only one elder. And so, I, uh, and I'm here, I'm disagreeing also with my friend Millard Erickson, who has a, another book, another systematic theology book, different from mine, it's called Christian Theology. He says there's a diversity of forms. Some churches have plural elders, some churches have single leadership and stuff like that. I don't think there's a diversity of forms of church government in the New Testament, but there's a unified and consistent pattern of plurality of elders. Now, I'm going to stop before I go on to other names. What's the benefit of having more than one? Somebody said something here. Hmm? Balance. Balance, okay. Letty, yeah. It's balance. What do you mean it's balance? Well, I mean it gives you a, a bigger a scope of the church. I would think yeah. if you had more than one that was making decisions. You get more input, more ideas. Yeah, good. That's one. What's another good reason to have plural elders? Accountability, because all right, it's not just one guy making the decisions all the time. Okay. When Jesus sent the disciples, I sent two or three of you. 
Yes, he sent them in two. He sent them. Oh, if two or three of you are agreed, or he sent them out two by two. And how many? How many? How many apostles did Jesus appoint? Twelve. So he didn't leave one person in charge. He had a plurality. Hmm. There's kind of a thing from human practical wisdom that comes in here too. What's the historical pattern? Often, not always. The historical pattern, what happens when one person gets too much power? Mm-hmm. Power, it, it, it can corrupt people, can it? Yeah. And then, see, I think Jesus in his wisdom left 12 apostles, not just one. And, he let, and, he, and he's probably taught them to have plurality of leadership among the churches because it gives protection against abuse of power. I think it's very wise. It gives accountability. It gives protection. So I think there's wisdom in it. And uh, I see Ed here in the front row. Ed and I have been on the elder board together. And those are wonderful. I mean, sometimes they get late. But, but they're really good discussions in the end. And the, the elder board, again and again, I'd come home from the elder meeting and I'd say, Margaret, you know, it was a hard decision we had to do tonight. But it came out right. It came out right. And we, month after month, I'd come home and say, that's a good elder board here at Scottsdale Bible. There's wisdom, wisdom that came out of the meeting, and so, um, so I think that that's uh, that's why I favor that pattern. Now, <clears throat> just kind of to get get our minds around the fact that there are some various verses that talk about elders. There are other names for elders in the Bible. Sometimes they're called pastors, or shep- shepherd and pastor would be two different words similar. And sometimes they're called overseers, and sometimes they're called bishops. Well, here's one: pastor, the Greek word poimen as a noun, and the Greek verb poimino, which means to act as a shepherd or a pastor, to act as a pastor or a shepherd, uh, those same Greek word, but they're translated as pastor or shepherd. So Paul, Acts 20, 28, he's, he's meeting with the elders at Ephesus, and he says, he says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. You see that imagery, like the, the, the church is like a flock of sheep? Pay attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, or to shepherd or pastor, it's this Greek word poimino, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Oh, there's the Greek word poimine, poimino, to to serve as a shepherd or a pastor. Um, Why do I mix up the words shepherd and pastor? Um, um, Because... The, the historical origin of the English word pastor has to do with someone who served as a shepherd. But it doesn't t- generally mean that today. But it, So it got two different translations in different, different senses. Okay, but those are elders. He's, but he also he says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. But he's talking to the elders. And then he says, act as a shepherd. And here, 1 Peter 5, talking to elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And that's, again, the verb poimino. And being examples to the flock, that's a, a flock of sheep. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, the archipoimen. Uh, and, and so the elders are called shepherds or pastors. And then there's another word, overseer or bishop. Now, Episcopalians want to make this, they think maybe we should make this, or at least they have a historical pattern that they would take this as a special office. But I think in the New Testament, what's called... Um, an overseer, and the Greek word is episkopos. Uh Uh-oh, that's a mistake. That cross off presbyteros. 
Sorry, that slipped by me last night. That, that's the word for elder. But here's episkopos. Well, um, overseer, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, but in King James Version it says bishop. <clears throat> he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Well, these are the, this is the... This is, the, this is the episkopos, from which we get the word episcopalian, but I think it's the same as an elder, because look at this. I left you in Crete, Titus 1, 5, to appoint elders in every town for an overseer as God's steward. Paul uses them interchangeably. Appoint elders, presbuterus, for an overseer, episcopon. So it looks like he's calling them both. An elder, in the sense he's kind of older and wiser and looks after the sheep, but an overseer, he kind of looks after what's going on. So I think they're interchangeable. And here's another example. Paul and Timothy, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Wait, who did he leave out? The elders, if he appointed elders in every church, well, they, he must be calling the elders overseers here. Make sense? Okay, so we can call them elders, or the Bible can call them overseers. Or, or shepherds. Okay, so now what do elders do? Well, they govern the New Testament churches. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. 1 Timothy 3.4-5, he must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So there's an overseeing governing function in the church. And that, no, no, I mentioned Scottsdale Bible Church except in passing, but Scottsdale Bible Church is governed by an elder board. I think it's 15 or something like that. 16 now. And the elder board has governing authority over the church. Except there is a higher human authority than the elder board in certain cases. And that's you. That is, the church budget has to be approved by you. And elders are elected by you. And I, I suspect, I can't even look to the Constitution recently, but I suspect there's a way that if an elder really starts making a lot of mistakes, there's a, there's a provision in the Constitution for you to vote out elders. I, I think there is. Uh, so it's, it's ultimately, Scottsdale Bible Church is a congregational government, and the congregation is the highest authority, but it elects elders and designates to them governing authority for everyday activities. Okay. And I, and I think that's, I think that's a good system. There's governing of the New Testament churches. All right, <clears throat> to act as shepherds of the of the flock of God and not to domineer. That is not to rule harshly or oppressively. So First Peter five, shepherd the flock of God. This is Paul saying. Likewise, you elders, do this in verse one. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. So, oh no, I've got to go to another elder board meeting. No, it's, yes, I get to go to another elder board meeting. Um, and, uh, and when there's designated responsibility to do it with joy. Okay? as governing. And elders, it seems to me, had some teaching responsibilities as well. So um, 
looks like Ephesians 4.11, pastors and teachers or elders and teachers uh, would be the same kind of office. 1 Timothy 3.2, elder or overseer, above reproach, husband or one wife. And one of the qualities is able to teach. And 1 Timothy 5.17, there are elders who labor in preaching and teaching. And there's another verse here, uh, 1 Timothy 1.9, he must hold firm to the sure word as trustworthy word is taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, in different churches where I've been, the churches have thought, this doesn't mean that every elder has to teach a Sunday school class, say, but should be able to. And it doesn't mean that every elder uh, has to preach in the pulpit on Sunday morning, but should, at least from time to time, be able to, if called on, and um, should be able to lead a home fellowship group and be trustworthy in that, and should be able to function with the elder board as a whole to evaluate the doctrinal qualifications of people who apply for staff membership or for ordination. So there's a doctrinal understanding and conformity to sound doctrine that's expected of elders and some responsibility for the teaching. If there ever would be a guest speaker or at some time in the future, a pastor who came in and started teaching things that other people were upset about, then it would be the elder board that would have that responsibility of evaluating, you know, is this consistent with what we want taught in our church or not? And so there's a teaching responsibility, okay? Qualifications for elders. The New Testament combines requirements concerning character traits and heart attitudes and doctrinal soundness with requirements that can't be fulfilled in a short time but will only become evident over a period of several years of faithful living. So look at this. These are some things that you can't know about a person the first week he comes into the church. Um, an overseer must be above reproach. I think that means that that no, no charge of, no no charge of, wrong serious wrongdoing can be credibly brought against an elder. He's above reproach. He shouldn't be someone who has a record of bad business dealings or has been abusive toward his family or something like that. The husband of one wife. I'm going to talk about that in more detail later. I think that means not two wives and not three wives, because because polygamy was possible, especially among Jewish people in the first century. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. Self-controlled means not losing his temper and flying off the handle. And okay, Respectable, hospitable, and there are other things as well. Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome not a lover of money, must manage his own household well, not be a recent convert, well thought of by outsiders. That's a, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty challenging list, isn't it? But, but Paul, I think he's, he's saying this is what we're looking for, is examples to others. Above reproach in Titus 1, husband of one wife, children are believers or children are faithful. And I think that means as long as they're living in your household. Because I don't think that after children leave home, 
that parents have responsibility for what their adult children are doing. I, I, I think that, but I, I mean, at least, but, but, there, but I've twice in the past, I've sat on elder boards where there have been nominations for elder, and the name has been turned down because children living in the home were out of control. <laughs> they were just disaster. Uh, when they came in the room, and then the, the elder board thought, no, wait a minute, that, that can't be. Okay, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, above reproach, not arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-control, upright, holy, and disciplined, hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught. Okay, so and give instruction in sound doctrine, able to, and rebuke those who contradict it. So, Elders are to be examples to the flock. And, you know, I'm not an elder now. I was an elder here on the church board, and I'm still a member of what's called the Council of Elders, people who have been elders. In the, how many people here are in the, have been elders at least at some point in the past here in the church? I know Ed and I, and tell me your name in the back. William. And anybody else been on the Council of Elders here? Sometimes others have been. Yeah, Bob, of course. Bob's an elder now, and somebody else. Jay, okay. Oh, okay, yeah, good. Um, that's a weighty responsibility. And it, 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 um, it means, Wayne, be careful how you act when you're out driving on the 101 or when you're at Home Depot shopping. And you, there's, a, there's, a, there's an example required. And how I treat Margaret and how I relate to my kids. And do, do you know what I mean? That's, so be imitators of me, Paul says, and then Paul says to Titus, be a model of good works. Now, I'm gonna stop there because I've been not stopping soon enough lately, and then we don't get any time to talk. Um, I'm almost done with elders. Next time, deacon, and then, you know what I'm gonna do next time? Watch this, just so you come back next week. That's what Episcopalian church government looks like. That's what Presbyterian government church government looks like. That's what congregational church government looks like in Baptist churches. There's plural look that's Scottsdale Bible Church. That's a corporate board structure. Oh, that's no government but the Holy Spirit. It's a big mess. Anyway, we're gonna do all those next week. <laughs> Okay, so, but let's stop now. Can you put, push the B button on the keyboard and blank that? Thanks. Okay, uh, can we uh, just interact with this a little bit about elders and church government, and we'll talk about forms of church government next week and how they... We've got a few minutes here to talk. I think you like... Sometimes you like to talk. Brian... The, you mentioned James is one of the earliest New Testament books, yep. and yet there was Probably, elders yep. uh, that were mentioned in there. Was that simply, was the early church just simply modeled uh, from the, the Jewish synagogues that was present then? Yeah. Okay, Brian, I'm going to be honest with you. I think so, because I think there were elders in Jewish synagogues, and there were elders. Moses had 70 elders, 
but I haven't done any research, detailed research, to know to say that for sure. But I've heard that before. I think it's there's a pattern of plural leadership. Yeah. 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 Ed, we've got a microphone here coming. Aren't there lots of references to scribes and elders, as in, you know, the elders in the synagogue? Yes, there are. Uh, the, 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 the tradition of the elders, there were elders among the Jews, and I've said the same thing I said to Brian. I haven't kind of looked into that in detail to give you any more answer for exactly who they were, how they were chosen, and how they functioned. Um, John Del Husay is an expert on that. I have to ask him but uh, or read something else, but I, but I think so. There were elders, yeah. Okay. Regarding um, having many counselors, uh, Proverbs uh, 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Excellent. Yep. That's a really good, a good argument for plural elders, because with many, many, advise, many counselors, you get an interaction of ideas and you get a better idea in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Good. What else? Yeah, over here, Greg, Daryl. Yeah. Um, who, tell me your name again. T -t Telly. Telly, yes. TC's wife, yes. I have a question on the term of elders. Are they just the term when the church appointed you? Do they expire after your term is finished? Or do, or do elder term is a life uh -huh. uh, appointed? Okay. Telly, the question is, do elder terms last for life or do they expire? The New Testament doesn't tell us. So we're left to kind of figure out what's the most wise system from human wisdom kind of and the counsel of other principles in the Bible. At Scottsdale Bible Church, we now have, I think, four-year terms. Is that yet, Jay? Okay. And then you can have... You have to go off for a year? And then you... So... So there, there are four-year terms, and they have to go off. But once you've been an elder at Scottsdale Bible Church, then you are on what's called the Council of Elders, and that's everybody who's ever been an elder at Scottsdale Bible Church. And about two times a year, I think, the elder board, once or twice a year, will meet with the whole Council of Elders, just for this Ed Bartolini's principle that you just said about giving wisdom from, every, from, from the whole Council of Elders. So it's a little bit of a combination. Some churches have lifetime elders. But I don't think there's as much accountability that way. Um, and people can... Especially when the pastor can fire it all. Okay, so we've got some voice of experience here. And <laughs> okay, yeah. Good. I had a friend who went to a Baptist church outside Washington, D.C. 70 lifetime elders. That man deserves a medal, I'll tell you. <laughs> what else? Anything else? Who's back at the... Anything else? We're done? We've got one more over here. Yeah, what's your name? I'm Daryl. Daryl? Um, in Revelation, and it seems to agree with the many plural use of the term elders, uh -huh. um, when Jesus is writing the letters or dictating them to John, he names the Nicolaitans. And I know historically there's some disagreement of who or what they were, but... Yep. A lot of what I've read means uh, people look at it, the word Nico, to conquer or be yep. over yep. Laos people. Yep. 
that they were actually, and Jesus hated them. He actually says, I hate the Nicolaitans yep. and their practices, which yep. were people trying to put themselves in power over his flock. Oh. And how do you react to that? I don't know if we can be sure because words don't always mean what the two halves mean put together, like butterfly. So it might be, but I'm not sure, and it doesn't. I don't think there's any more historical information. But that is what the meanings of the two halves mean: victory of the people. But you know what we can get from that? It's kind of, kind of shrouded in a little bit of a cloud of mystery. So, yeah, the principle is right. People shouldn't try to usurp authority. That's true. Over what what is established. Okay. Do you want to sing? Can we go to the last slide, Trent? Uh, no, last three slides, I think. We tried this before, didn't get through all the verses. Let's, let's. I think we we got a couple minutes here. We can get through. And I, I won't do this song anymore. I've done it a couple times already. But the church is one foundation. When we're talking about the doctrine of the church. There aren't a whole lot of hymns about the doctrine of the church. And and the one I really like, I don't know if anybody knows. Does anybody know? Glorious things of thee are spoken. Sign. You know that? Okay, that's what we'll do next week. All right, let's try this one today because I've got it on. <laughs> I don't know why. Mike is laughing at something up here. It's a joyful laugh. Okay, here we go. Let's stand up and sing. I'm going to say one more thing before I quit. Um, I mentioned the church that I've been to in Birmingham, Alabama, where they've got a single pastor. It's a big church, 4,000 people or so. What happens in those churches is that oftentimes the pastor gathers advisors or deacons around him and they kind of function like a multiple elder board in terms of advice and everything. And so I did not mean to say that church is not working well. It's working very, very well. It's a healthy church. So just so you don't take those stories and apply them to that church that was a good church and has 800 people in it who have read my systematic theology. I think <laughs> and just differed with my view of church government. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for the joy of fellowship together. Thank you for these good men and women, Lord, who are your children. Thank you for your wisdom and your word that you teach us with. Guide us this week and help us to be pleasing to you and, and help us all to be examples for the flock in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.